Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Our play by play call today another John Sterling classic on the Yankees radio network. Here's the 2 2. Swung on there, it goes deep right. It is high, it is far, it is gone. It banged off the foul pole. It's a grand slam. It's bye-bye birdie in the right field seats. A three-run home run last night. A grand salami tonight. The Birdman of New York. And the Yankees take a 5-0 lead. That's Bird, Greg Bird. First baseman for the Yankees, uh, seven RBIs the last two nights, including the Grand Slam last night on our play-by-play call today. Jim Eichenhofer happens to be a writer for Pelicans.com. Why are we talking about the New Orleans Pelicans? Because they only had one draft choice last month, and they selected Penn State's Tony Carr. Jim, welcome. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. He's the only guy that they drafted, and you and I both know in the first, what, three games the Pelicans have played in the Summer League, I mean, it has not been the smoothest journey so far for him. What's been the at least the initial evaluation of Tony Carr? I think one of the biggest things that the coaches have talked about, and he's talked, Tony talked about a little bit too, is that he's adjusting to playing off the ball. One of the things I, I noticed about him, and I'm sure a lot of people with us, who didn't weren't very familiar with him noticed when for example when I was watching highlights and film of his college career it seemed like he had the ball in his hands a ton and even even some of a lot of the three pointers I saw him make he kind of dribbled into them whereas you know in the NBA he's not it's not unless you're one of the I don't know 10 top 10 15 guys in the league like a Westbrook or a Harden or Chris Paul or somebody like that you you can't play the whole game with or a huge chunk of the game with the ball in your hands so I think he's that's the biggest thing that he's adjusting to and working on is that he's playing off the ball a lot and he's going to be in situations where some of his shots come from spot-up situations instead of you know where he's able to dribble for 8-10 seconds and then make a move. I've seen already in this short amount of time that he's, he's really good off the dribble and he's athletic and he can get into the lane. But, you, you know, the way the, the way the league is and the way – um, his role is going to be as he plays with other NBA players. It's going to just be a pretty big tweak from what he did at Penn State. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at the tape of the Big Ten tournament and uh, and tapes of the NIT, you'll see that when Josh Reeves got back, they took Tony off the ball a little bit more and more. So he's actually a little bit more used to playing that way than I think people would realize. If you look at the time when Reeves was out. You're right. He had the ball in his hand, uh, Jim, almost the entire time, it seemed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I took it as, and again, I'm not super familiar, as you can imagine. I'm not, we don't get to watch much college basketball at all during the season because we have an 82-game schedule. I was, I really was not familiar with him. <laughs> yeah. Tony very much at all. 
Um, even if they, I know that he's one of the best players in the Big Ten, and I knew he was a, a great college player. So, yeah, we're we're doing a, with, with a lot of guys, unless it's the guy that maybe went really deep in the NCAA tournament that we got to watch, we, we have to do a lot of catch-up on them, and we don't have a ton of, you know, background knowledge of what exactly we're, right. we're looking at when it comes to the NBA. Well, I want to ask you about the Pelicans guard situation because Rajon Rondo just went to the Lakers. Do the Pelicans have depth at the guard spot or are there opportunities at the guard spot? I mean, there could be opportunities. You have they, – they just signed um, Alfred Payton, who's a point guard. With Rondo leaving, the starting spot has kind of opened up. Alfred Payton said himself he's not sure whether he's going to be starting or not. Obviously, there's a bunch – there's a couple more months left in the offseason – that the Pelicans can make other moves. Um, they they just re-signed Ian Clark, who people are probably familiar with from when he played for Golden State and won a championship there. Um, Frank Jackson is, is a, uh, was supposed to be a rookie last year, missed the whole season with uh, foot surgeries, and played really well in the first summer league game this this week and then got injured with a ankle sprain. So there's a few guys that, that I think are projected to, to be in the mix, but... Um, it's really not solidified right now in terms of exactly what the the rotation is going to look like. So, I mean, there are maybe compared to some other teams that have four or five guys already on the roster and already in place, there is maybe more of a potential opportunity here than there would be in a lot of other other teams. I think when I look at Tony Carr, and then I'm going to ask this in your general sense of the NBA. When I look at Tony Carr, obviously I did all his games here at Penn State. So is a guy that has length and can post up. But at the same time, defensively, I mean, sometimes it has to work a lot harder on that end. So in the league, does a, a guard with length that can post up, does that have value in the league based on what you see every day? And then give me the value of having the ability in this league to play some defense. I mean, I definitely think it does help to have length um, offensively to be able to post up. Um, but the, the one thing about that, though, is it, 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 it's it's not necessarily common that you're going to be able to post up a guy um, who's a rookie. You know, like you're not going to – he's going to have to basically prove himself a lot more to be able to get to the point where they would say, okay, we're going to run a post-up play for him in the offense. So, But, it, I mean, it definitely is valuable to have that, um, especially with teams that are always trying to create mismatches and – create forcing other teams to double team and stuff like that so he might be able to get to the point where other teams are fear fearful of his post-up ability um as far as defensively goes i've heard i've heard people say that you know you mentioned that maybe i'm not sure if it's fair you you to say this that i don't i honestly don't know but you know people you might you might say that his motor wasn't always great or he, he didn't always maximize like his effort on defense but I think a lot of people realize that players in a situation where he was in where he was the focal point of the offense at Penn State and the leading scorer and a guy that they absolutely needed to stay out of foul trouble that he maybe can't couldn't show exactly what he can do on the defensive end or um, that kind of thing in the NBA he'd be playing a, a much shorter allotment of minutes so maybe he'll be able to demonstrate that he can you know go full bore and I, I know he has a lot of it seems like from just a brief being able to watch him play, he has a ton of natural ability between the size that he had that you mentioned and 
he's pretty athletic and pretty long. He seems like he has long arms and he has pretty good hands. So I'm I'm curious to see, you know, what kind of defensive potential maybe they can tap from him as we go into the fall and the in the regular se- the training camp and regular season. How do you? I know summer league gets more publicity now than it ever has, and it's part of you know the ESPN contract. And look, they're looking for content to put on the air, so it gets sure. more recognition than ever before. In reality, how do you view summer league and the value of it? I think one thing that people can get a little carried away with in terms of um, summer league is that I think sometimes people forget that if a guy has a really great two or three games in summer league or vice versa has a really poor start to it or whatever that the, the teams have scouted these the players for years and they all have a body of work um the only guys that don't have a big body of work are maybe the guys that only played one year in college or or some of the guys there's a couple guys that got drafted this year that didn't even play in college because of circumstances with the you know the fbi investigation i'm sure you guys all know about um but for the most part <laughs> For for the most part, the, um, the the NBA teams have seen all these guys play, you know, sixty games or a hundred games or whatever. In Tony's case, hundred and thirty or whatever it was. Um, so I mean, I mean, they even know. I'm sure they a lot of teams even follow the high school AAU circuit just because you know that some of the guys coming through the ranks are going to be players that you're looking at. So a couple, one or one or two games here and there doesn't. I guess what I'm trying to say is. A, you shouldn't overreact, good or bad, to some sometimes to what they do in summer league because um, teams know they put stock into everything. It's not like you have a complete clean slate and then what you do in summer league dictates how teams view you. I guess basically. Yeah, one year Draymond Green averaged like five, six points a game in summer league, and the MVP was Glenn Rice Jr. We know how that turned yeah. out. Uh, so sure. it does, it's it's not perfect. Uh, Boogie Cousins. Uh, we know what a talent he is. What does New Orleans lose in him, and is there a possibility it is addition by subtraction? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, I think the biggest thing is probably style of play. He was really the Pelicans were going against the grain a lot with having DeMarcus Cousins and AD in the same Anthony Davis in the same front court. But I think in the over the last couple months of the regular season and then in the first round of the playoffs when they swept Portland last year, you could see that, it, to me, it's clear that they, the best style of play for them is fast-paced, up and down. If you have DeMarcus Cousins and AD in the front court, um, you're, you're, to, be, to best utilize DeMarcus Cousins, you need to post him up. You need to play slower uh, of an offensive attack. So, I mean, I think from that standpoint, you could see that the team benefited. Obviously, you can't necessarily say one way or the other based on one season, but I mean, there was no doubt that they played better after he went out, and they just the the overall um, chemistry and, and and including defense was just a lot better in the second half of the last season. If the NBA, in conjunction with the Players Association, uh, makes the decision to go back to the you know eliminating the one and done rule. What would that mean for scouting? How much more scouting would they have to do of high school games, AAU yeah. games, and in reality, how much more of a pain in the neck is that going to be for NBA teams? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question and something that I've thought about and something that, 
we've discussed people that I work with and people around the NBA have discussed a lot. Um, personally, I'm, I was surprised. And it, it sounds like from what, based on what Adam Silver was commenting on recently that they are considering getting rid of the, the um, age limit and having it go back to where you can come out of, straight from high school. I, I honestly thought that NBA teams would be very resistant to that because I thought that the, one of the main reasons why that rule was put into place was because they wanted to get out of scouting kids in high school gyms. And also, it's it's almost like a like a um, like an insurance policy for scouts in that you always get to see, for the most part, you always get to see guys play against college competition. I think a lot of the mistakes that were made by players that drafted straight out of high school were were guys that you know maybe did really well in high school. But how do you how do you evaluate the competition that they go against? Because it, it varies so much from state to state and city to city. So by making sure that all of these guys, for the most part, play in the NCAA, it just gives you such a a bigger um, sample size of of how to evaluate the player. I'm sure you've seen there's a lot of guys who were top ten high school players and then had very disappointing college careers. Those guys, if the NBA had to draft those guys straight out of high school, you know, you'd have years where maybe six or eight lottery picks our guys straight out of high school, but half of those guys wouldn't even have been good. Co- turned out to not even be good college players. So, what is? How does that translate to um, if you, you're an NBA team? I mean, if, if the guy was going to be a flop in college, he sure as heck is going to be a huge waste of your your money and your resources and everything of drafting him and using expending such a high pick on that player. So, basically, that that's what what I'm saying is like I, I'm surprised that the NBA and teams are open to the idea because I thought that they, it just added a layer of protection that you that you really need that had gone away for a while and I think was really um, costing teams as far as we just used the top five pick on a guy that we've only seen play against high school players and now we don't have a ton of confidence but we're going to just roll the dice and, and hope that he's as good as we think he is so I just I just think it's dangerous and you might see even though Adam Silver has talked about it, changing the rule, you might see as it gets closer to being something that they vote on or something that they decide on that there's pushback from teams because of all of the reasons that I just listed. Well, I mean, the Players Association wouldn't go for it, but I would be one of those owners in the room saying, look, let's go two years and 20 years of age because I'd like to get a better evaluation, and I'd like to lean toward a more mature league. I'd like a more mature uh, playing, uh, playing base. For sure. And, you know, the part about the Players Association is interesting to me because you hear people say that they would be for it because, it, of course, it you know it allows the guys to not have to spend one year in college and they can come straight to the NBA. But on the other hand, you have veteran players that are under the Players Association um, umbrella who will be losing jobs to guys that are coming straight out of high school. And I think that there's a, there's a big chunk of the Players Association – and just players in general that really dislike the idea of um, guys getting pushed out of the league by by eighteen year olds who, yeah. like I said, have only proven themselves against high school players. <laughs> to me, the point of the union is to protect your rank and file, okay, not the potential sure. rank and file. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for the time you gave us today and for your insight. No problem. Thanks anytime. Jim, I can offer from Pelicans dot com. That's always been my issue about when I talk about the one and done rule and the fact that it is 
that the group that really, really is pushing when it comes to the one and done and the against it and saying, look, just let them all in, happens to be uh, the Players Association. I've never understood why they push so hard on that. I've never understood. I thought the job of the union was to protect the current rank and file. In other words, the people who pay the dues. Why are you working so hard to get non-dues-paying members in at the expense of pushing out current dues-paying members? Because any rookie or free agent that comes in is going to push a veteran off the list. That's the part about the Players Association I've never understood. And I've always felt very strongly about two, two years and 20 years of age, not because of the college game. It has nothing to do with what I... T- when, when I talk about that, I'm not at all talking about the college game. I'm doing everything. When I make that commentary, it is from an NBA point of view. I would want to have a more mature league. All right. We'll come back with more in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. Great to have you with us on the show today. Hey, uh, Prince of Pickles is coming up tomorrow on the show. I think I'll see him at some point next week, actually. Hmm. So, the uh, PIAA uh, meeting on July 24th is going to be very interesting. There will be 75 schools that have that 75 schools were sent an email. Now, whether all 75 respond and go remains to be seen. But the concern is, after looking at girls' basketball, boys' basketball, and football, between charter schools and non-public schools, most notably most of them being Catholic schools, there's that sense they're dominating too many of the championships. So what do you do about it? Well, on July 24th in State College, they're going to discuss it. Now, the only complaint I've ever heard was some guy getting, you know, they kept costing him money in playoff runs. I'm like, so you know, you know, I tried to tell him over and over, you don't play. It's about the kids, right? Yeah. Right? Well, for you and me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the only time I've ever heard anybody, you know, on the game-winning free throw for a coffee table. Okay. So <laughs> you, you can't make it that personal. Okay, <laughs> but it is an issue, and I think it is an issue that has, I think, turned off some fans. I think that's safe to say, because what happens is that unless you're directly involved with a school, a charter school, or a non-public school, they do not attract casual fans. 
a town or regional public school does. Because it can be more than just my son or daughter goes to the school. I've lived in this town for X amount of years and so on and so forth. So that's my team. That doesn't happen with a charter school or a non-public school. So their dominance has actually turned some fans off. Lot to talk about about the Big Ten in the next half hour. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Four city blocks of new Ford trucks. Over 40,000 trucks sold. SMC is where you want to be. Sunbury Motors Ford has over 110 new Ford trucks. And during July, they'll include a complimentary accessory package. With the purchase of any new F-150 through July 31st, receive a tonneau cover, molded flash cars, and window deflectors at no additional charge. SMC is where you want to be because they have the largest selection of new Ford trucks in all of central Pennsylvania. And that means the biggest savings. Take up to $13,500 off on new F-150s. And SMC has them starting as low as $26,669. Save up to seven grand on 2018 Ford Escapes. And they're slashed as low as nineteen three eighty. dollars 2018 Explorers, Edges, and Expeditions will also be clearly marked with discounts up to eight grand. SMC is where you want to be in July for this mega summer spectacular sale and the complimentary F-150 accessory package. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. F-150 accessory package valued at $6.99. Excludes fire sales and order units. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Okay, great to be with us today on the show. Promise that we would... Talk about the Big Ten in this half hour. And there is a lot to talk about. And there is plenty to talk about. When you have the East West the way it is. Wisconsin really has done a great job of positioning itself as the dominant team in the West. And where's the door open for anybody else? I remember when when they were trying to make a final decision on Indiana or Purdue as to which one would be in the East and which one would be in the West. That was the only decision that had to be made on the split. I was talking to Tim Newton, the play-by-play voice of Purdue, and I said, Tim, I said, you have to beg to get into the West. I said, you do not want to be in the East. You know, and this is when they were doing this years ago. I said, because the road to winning it is easier in the West. There's not a, there's not a gauntlet. Well, there's Wisconsin sitting there. They've owned it. Northwestern is really good. Now, Penn State will play Wisconsin this year, not Northwestern. But when you look at Wisconsin, outstanding running back in Taylor, a good, not great college quarterback in Alex Hornibrook, good receivers, really good defense, good linebackers, good linebackers. Edwards, I think, is terrific. 
they're the standard bearer out there. Right behind them, I think Northwestern with Clayton Thorson, even though they had to replace Justin Jackson, a running back. Now, that's big. But they're a solid, well-rounded team with a good defensive unit and a quarterback that can really fire it down the field. And Thorson's got a really good arm. Really good arm. And I think that when you look at Northwestern, they're right there in the thick of it. Now, people are wondering about Nebraska. Obviously, Scott Frost showing up does not wave a magic wand and suddenly you have success there. He has to get himself an established quarterback, which I think he's on track to doing. Okay. And you have to... The area that they need dramatic improvement in, dramatic, is on defense. I mean, you notice that UCF, UCF was not a great defensive unit. I mean, when they got into the games, they got into shootout games left and right when he was there. So that hasn't been his forte. Minnesota, I mean, Minnesota was in a spot from Jerry Kill to Tracy Clays where they're winning like nine games a year. Pretty good. Uh, P.J. Flex only had one year there, so I'm not going to sit there and be critical of him as a coach. You know, method-wise, you know, as you know, that's not my cup of tea as to the methods and the row the boat and all this stuff. We're all going to row in the same direction. Okay, great. Gently down the stream. Um but you guys know that when it comes to motivation like that, I've always been a self-motivator, so I've never cared for stuff like that. <laughs> Sean, I think, knows that more than anybody. Absolutely. By the way, speaking of Minnesota football, for those who did not hear the news, uh, it came down about a week or so ago. And yeah. uh, Shikolami football fans are uh, aware of this, just with the fact of uh, them seeing uh, the Williamsport Millionaires a couple of times uh, the last few mm-hmm. years. Uh, their star running back, uh, Trey Potts, uh, he will be going to Minnesota once he's done at Williamsport. And, uh, I mean, so they're there. Purdue is much better. I, I give Jeff Brown credit. They're not only good offensively, which they are, but they're actually not bad defensively. I, think I give him credit. He did everything so quickly over there. I mean, and that's where it is in the West. Now, the East is what everyone here is interested in. Yeah, I didn't mention Illinois because Penn State's going to play them. So Penn State has to play Iowa. Nate Stanley back at quarterback. Stanley has a nice arm, but he doesn't move well. And not having Wadley does not help them offensively. They've got a big offensive line. They've got a really good defensive front. Nelson's a terrific player. And they get Snyder back at safety, who had to sit out most of last year, hurt. And so they'll get him back. He knows how to play. He's a good player. And their linebackers are good. Then there's Illinois. Penn State has to cross over and play them. Look, Lovey Smith, we all know, is on the hot seat. He is playing a lot of young players. So he made the transition. Look, I'm going young, and I don't blame him. I'm going to go with the guys I recruited going young. So that's a plus. What's interesting about Lovey Smith is this. His Illinois team matches his NFL performance in some ways. And that is as follows. His defense, not that bad. Now, of course, in the NFL, his defenses were better. You know, he had better personnel. I mean, I think I'm going to go out there and Brian Erlocker happens to be my uh, linebacker. Okay. 
But he never turned out a decent offensive team ever in the NFL. And guess what the problem is? They're between 120 and 130 every year under him offensively. That is a huge problem. They just don't score. Illinois announcing today that they'll play Toledo in 2023. For those who are curious. Just stumbled upon that. I'm not sure there's a TV network that wants to carry it. <laughs> um, I'm just curious who will be coaching then. Will it be the coach after the after Levy or the coach after or two coaches after? <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's on the hot seat. Everybody knows it. Yeah. But now you get to the East. DJ Durkin, remember they? You know, you can look at the what? What was the final score of the last game? Sixty-six to three. The Penn State beat them. I mean, at that point, though. At that point, the uh, Maryland was so depleted. I, I like to look at the team from a respect point of view to be the one that beat Texas in Austin in the opener where they had their quarterbacks. Now, it turns out that's going to be the last game of the regular season, so it's a while to negotiate to get there. But I think they've got a, a few guys in defense that can play well. But the quarterbacks are going to be the ones that determine, especially I think maybe Kasim Hill above all. So they Back ended the, up with what down to the what their fourth or fifth string quarterback last year? It was yes, that bad? Yes, that bad. They were down to four and five. The fourth string guy played against Penn State. He may have been third string. I, he may have been third at one point. All right. But that's where they are. Rutgers, I mean, do I think Rutgers is better? It's it's hard to tell. But Chris Ash, to me, deserves more time. One of the toughest calls that any athletic director has to make when they hire a coordinator, and remember, Maryland, now Maryland's changed athletic directors. Keep that in mind, too. But between Rutgers and Maryland, each organization hired a coordinator. So there's no head coaching track record to look at. And one of the tougher calls that you have to make is that when you do hire an assistant coach slash coordinator, is do they have what it takes to be the CEO head coach? You can only do that by watching them on the job. Normally, as you know, I'd rather say a head coach in football, basketball, any sport, get five, six years. That way you see at some point what the whole thing looks like. I've always felt that in the SEC, everyone has played beautifully in the Nick Saban's hands. While he has been the bastion of stability, winning and winning and winning, everybody else around him has panicked and cut bait. And when you cut bait, Essentially, each time you are starting over. Now, your starting point is higher at an LSU, but you're still starting over. But Les Miles, gone. How many, you know, Hugh Freeze, who followed whomever. Mississippi, well, now Dan Mullen left on his own to go to, to Florida. Uh, to go to Florida. So, Mississippi State was trying to keep the same guy there. 
I mean, Auburn's changed coaches. You know, suddenly Gene Chizik's there, and then Gene Chizik's gone, and suddenly it's Gus Malzahn. And if they don't beat LSU, if that final touchdown counts in the Auburn-LSU game a couple of years ago, it may have been Gus Malzahn gone and Les Miles still there, believe it or not. That's how tenuous it was. But all these people play into his hands. They all keep starting over. All the time, starting over. New coach, starting over. Texas A&M. Yeah, they brought in Jimbo, but I don't care what you say. They're still starting over. And it plays right into Nick Saban's hands. Well, I mean, the same thing. You haven't been winning, so you want to do something. So Indiana gets rid of Kevin Wilson. Tom Allen's in there. Now, Allen's a really good defensive mind. Make no bones about that at Indiana. But Durkin's going into his, what, fourth year? Ash is going into his third year. You really have no feel for either one as to what their program looks like. Now let's get to the top of the league, which is what everybody wants to hear about. Look, Urban's been there from 2012 on. Harbaugh's going into his fourth season. James, of course, is going into his fifth season. I think Harbaugh's Harbaugh's going into his fourth. I'm trying to think, Harbaugh's going into his fifth year. I think five years. James five years. D'Antonio's double digits, and of course Urban. You've had stability at the top. Nobody's panicked and got rid of people. Michigan State's good. L.J. Scott, the running back, good. Brian Lewerke is the, now Brian Lewerke sometimes plays really, really well, like he did Penn State, and then has other games where it's like, okay, there's a disappearing act. They need more consistency out of him, and their defense is good, not great. Now they did a good job of taking a thin margin of error the last two years and turning it around from not being on the plus side of the margin of error to last season doing a good job of being on the plus side of the margin of error. And I think Michigan State is still in that margin of error territory. Michigan, the baffling thing about them, great defense again. Bush is going to be terrific. Winovich is really good. Rashawn Gary is really good. That was one of the teams that you know you can only I can only vote for five people in each division. So I have to vote for ten overall, five in each division. And um and when I look at Michigan, I wanted to pick one of the defensive players. Now I'm I'm not at liberty to tell you who I voted for until after it comes out, so I'm not gonna tell you who I voted for. But I'm looking at Bush, Winovich, and I'm looking at Rashawn Gary, and I'm thinking, Man, those guys are pretty good. But I had I had no consideration for anybody on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think Tariq Black's going to be a good good wide out for them. Um, I think their running backs are good. You know, Higgum's good. Uh, Evans is good. But none of them is a breakout, breakaway guy. Everything's going to come down to what happens at the quarterback spot with Shea Patterson. Now, Patterson is a dual threat, but there are a lot of people at Mississippi at, at Ole Miss that feel that Patterson may not have been their starter this year. But at Michigan, he's going to be their starter. It's been the biggest mystery about Jim Harbaugh. Why has he not been able to recruit a quarterback out of high school that's, quote, his guy? 
That's the part that really, and look, I'm not sitting here trying to, like, bash the guy. I'm asking a legitimate question here. Why hasn't he been able to recruit a guy out of high school that's his guy? That's always baffled me about him. And there was nobody in the offense I even considered for them. Now, Ohio State, let's give Urban credit. He goes out, and I think you'll see a little different style this year. Haskins is a different style quarterback. He's a better thrower than J.T. Barrett. They took Paris Campbell. They made him an H-back. I thought that was an interesting move because Campbell's got a lot of speed. I think Dobbins is a fabulous running back. I mean, every time I, I kind of wondered, <laughs> it's not my job to tell Urban Meyer what to do, but I kind of wondered why Dobbins didn't get a few more touches per game. Draymond Jones on the defensive front, really good. We're going to be interested to see how their linebackers play out. I mean, they lost something there. And their secondary wasn't quite uh, the same with them defensively last year. It wasn't like Penn State put up 13 points. Well, they, well, they did up, early. <laughs> Very you know, early. Penn State, Penn State put up 38. Right. Uh, got right. outscored. <laughs> I mean, and that's the interesting part. I, I just don't know. Now, what about the Penn State part of it? We'll talk about that in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Actually, is uh, the National Guard has a spot out at the um, University Park Airport, and every once in a while they'll do some touch and go landings. There is a military jets flying so low around here that I went outside to take a look at it to see, and I didn't see it. I could only hear it. I mean, it's really low. And the woman across the street, Crystal, looks at me and she says, "Are we getting attacked?" I, said, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's the other way around. I think they're defending us. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I was doing during the break. Let's just go outside and see. Penn State. Look, uh, Mike Kosicki is a marvel. I mean, you know I am a big Mike Kosicki guy. And Mike will be the first to tell you. Look, he worked hard at it. He got better at it. But there are guys on this football team this year that are better blockers. So you might not get the catch Radius, which is important, but you might get something more out uh, of the running game and pass protection with the current group of tight ends. Now, is that enough to balance off losing the fabulous pass catching ability of a Mike Kosicki? Because Mike's, uh, you know, Mike's as a pass catcher is a special tight end. You lose Deshaun Hamilton as dependable as dependable gets, but boy, I'll tell you, I'm really anxious to watch in camp Justin Shorter to go with Jawan Johnson and, and DeAndre Tompkins. Pippen Hammer's very good. K.J. Hamler, very good. Shorter has all the ingredients that makes me want to go into camp and say, okay, how good is he? Because he certainly has the look. Miles Sanders, I believe, if healthy, gains as many yards this year rushing as Saquon Barkley did last year. Why? Because Miles is talented and the offensive line is better. Now, does Sanders contribute in the pass game? 
the way Barkley did. Now, that's a different question, a different proposition. But you have other running backs that can get in there and do that, Mark Allen being one, possibly Ricky Slade, Journey Brown. The offensive line is deeper, and I feel now that they have a good, solid, two-deep situation at all five offensive line spots. Big plus, because obviously these seasons are a marathon. They're a journey. And that's, you know, you get concerned about the length of a season. And you need all hands on deck where you can do it. I think the defensive front, it's interesting. I've heard some people talk about, well, on defense, you know, the, the defensive. I think the defensive line is going to be fine. I, I, I really go into this with no qualms at all about Penn State defensively on the defensive front. Now, linebacker, I'll be the first to tell you, linebacker, I want to see how it plays out because the question is going to be, do you have a too-deep situation at linebacker? do you? And I think there's only one way to see how it plays out as the season goes. I mean, the young guys, the young guys are pretty good. I like Jesse Lucetta. I like a lot. Miles Parsons, or excuse me, Micah Parsons. Obviously, Micah Parsons is a special talent. But Lucetta is not a bad player, but he's He's young. Koa, Cam Brown, really, really good. Jan Johnson. But that's, to me, where the question is going to be. Because the secondary, I'll be honest with you, I have no questions of the secondary. None. Those, all those guys played. Tariq Castro-Fields is going to be really, really good. Amani Oyewarie was like having another starter last year. Nick Scott, same way. And getting John Reed back, he can't put a price on that. Can't put a price on John Reed coming back. So I think we've got a heck of a race and a lot of excitement. Station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.